Gunny, and this is I'm the Gun's Reboot Review, a podcast indexing the adventures of everyone's favorite super future teens, the Legion of Superheroes. Reboot Review focuses strictly on the Reboot Legion, a sort of Ultimates version of the team that was published by DC Comics from 1994 through 2004. The adventures of the Legion at this time weaved in and out of two monthly titles, Legion of Superheroes and Legionnaires. And usually each episode of Reboot Review recaps one of each, the issues with the cover date of any given month. This time out, however, I wanted to squeeze in recaps of Legion of Superheroes Annual Number 6 and a couple of short stories from issue number 6 of the anthology title, Showcase 95. So I'm going to get right into it. Uh, Legion of Superheroes Annual Number 6 carries a cover date of 1995. DC annuals going back a few years had been tied together by either a theme or an event. The 1988 annuals all had bonus Private Lives features, which developed the backstories of each title's characters or supporting characters. 1989's annuals all had Who's Who update profiles, and then there were a run of event tie-ins. 1991 was Armageddon 2001, which was okay. 1992 was Eclipso, that was pretty good. Next was Bloodlines. Eh. By the time we got to 1995, DC annuals were back to just presenting a united theme. In this year's case, it was Year One, which told stories from early in the careers of each title's superhero. In Legion's case, they hadn't quite been around for a year, at least in this form, so this annual ended up uh, being a spotlight on the backstories of a couple of its members. Spotlight is shined cleverly, I think, by writers Tom McCraw, Tom Pyre, and Mark Wade uh, through a framing sequence featuring science police officer Siobhan Aaron, who'd recently been appointed science police liaison to the Legion. The framing sequence of this annual, called Deep Backgrounds, is drawn by Jim Hall and Tom Simmons. It's colored by Tom McCraw lettered by Tim Harkins, and the whole thing is edited by Mike McAvinney and Casey Carlson. Sequence opens with Siobhan taking some ribbing about her new appointment from several of her colleagues. To this point, the Legion and the Science Police have shared only a a barely civil relationship, as both organizations report to the government of the United Planets, and to this point, the SPs, I don't don't think, have taken the Legion uh, seriously. While each group's goal is shared, peace in the UP, uh, many of the individual officers of the science police have bristled at the shiny new, at least in their mind, the glory hounds that the SPs believe the Legion to be. Siobhan finally gets some privacy and begins to review files on each Legionnaire. She's doing this on a Omnicom, which, which I guess is like an iPad. She thinks to herself that she'd better get started, as she's only got 54 years until she retires. Now, I wonder about this comment. Either she chose that number at random just to be funny, or we're being told something about the life expectancy of humans 1,000 years in the future. I'm guessing Siobhan's somewhere in her early to mid-20s, and she's definitely portrayed as being older than the Legionnaire, so she's planning on working until she's 80. 
I'm wondering if people live into their hundreds or their hundred teens a millennium from now. Anyway, her Legionnaire files are mostly really nice single-page member pinups. She and, and we start with Cosmic Boy, drawn by Jim Hall and Tom Simmons. So besides a nice picture of Kaz on this page, he's fighting a, a baddie looking remarkably like old Legion villain Tyr, we get some vital stats. Height, weight, powers. I'm going to put up a few of these Omnicom Legion profile pages on, on my blog, I'm the gun.blogspot.com. Next we get Saturn Girl by Chris Sprouse and Jason Martin. Chris Sprouse goes back a ways with Legion. He'd drawn a couple of stories in the early days of the five years later run. He was the first regular artist on the title Legionnaires when that title featured young time duplicates of an adult Legion. I'm pretty sure Sprouse designed the uniforms that the Legion wore at the time, and those were inherited by this by the reboot team. I love his work on the Legion. He's at least top five on my list of Legion artists, and this Saturn Girl piece is great. She's touching her temples, so I guess she's reading the minds of a, a Legion of floating heads we see behind her. Now, I don't have too much familiarity with this group, but I think there's one of the Micronauts there, right, right above Imra's head. I'd need someone's help on that. Next up is Triad, drawn by Adam Hughes, an excellent choice to draw some smoking hot triplets who don't look 14 here, or whatever they're supposed to be. Uh, Lee Motor and Pam Eklund get Apparition. Not my favorite Lee Motor piece, maybe it's the inking. His stuff looks so much better when inked by Ron Boyd. Next. Ah, Excess. Pencils and Inks by Stuart Immonen, another one of my favorites. Immonen, I should have said, did the cover to this issue. Nice group shot. But front and center of the issue's spotlight stars Excess, Leviathan, and Kinetics. So with a voice command to the Omnicom, Siobhan chooses to explore Excess's origin, and so will we. This story is called Running Scared, and it's Solo written by Tom McCraw, penciled by Immanen, inked by Bob Wyacek and Jose Marzan Jr., lettered by Richard Starkings and Comicraft. Story opens with Jenny Ognatz, confined in a cell by the Dominators, a real mean alien race that's popped up in the DCU on occasion and was the prime threat faced by the Legion early in the five years later run. Real nasty pieces of work. In this holding cell, which is filled with kind of organic-looking machines, looks like they were designed by Swamp Thing, Jenny thinks to herself that she's not like her family. She's tried to convince her captors that she doesn't share the speed powers of her grandfather, Barry Allen the Flash. And this, I guess, I think that's the big reveal of that, that fact. Jenny thinks through her family history how Barry Allen spent a good deal of his final days in the 30th century with his wife Iris. She gave birth to twins, Don and Dawn, and was forced to raise them on their own when Barry died during the crisis. Iris managed to hide the twins' inherited speed throughout their childhood. The twins grew up, and Dawn eventually gave birth to Jenny, but was pulled into super-speed action with her brother to free a group of people from the genetic experiments of the Dominators. 
Although they succeeded in their mission, the Tornado Twins, as they were called, were, were killed in the process. This debacle brought to light the existence of a new generation of possible speedsters, so to protect Jenny and her cousin, Bart Allen, the children were hidden, Bart in the distant past, and Jenny on Arok, the homeworld of her father. The Dominators, unfortunately, tracked down Jenny and her father, Javen, in the hopes of unlocking the secrets of Jenny's, to this point, dormant superspeed. Back in Jenny's presence, she's forced to watch the Doms torture her father, but the experience awakens something in her. She breaks through her cell window and rescues her dad, dismantling the Dominator's lab in the process. This was, at least partly, the Dominion's plan all along, force Jenny to develop her powers under duress. This is something of, a, of an M.O. for them. People who've read uh, the DC mini Invasion would know that. Unfortunately for them, in their effort to subdue her, they shoot their own main power line, which causes the lab to blow up, ending that particular branch of Dominion study. Jenny's obviously happy to have her father back, but seems to be better for their shared experience. She doesn't know what the future will bring, but she promises to use her newfound abilities to make her parents proud. And damn, what a nicely drawn story that is. Siobhan asks the Omnicom to advance to the next file, but when she finds that Leviathan is the next subject, she tells the device to skip him. So we get a few more profile pinups. Invisible Kid by Jason Armstrong and Rod Boyd. Armstrong would eventually take over his regular penciler with this title, but that's still a ways away. Chameleon is by Chris Renaud and Rob Lee. And I had to look and I had to look twice. I would have sworn that this page was by Joe Staten. Then we get a real nice Brainiac 5 page. Invisible Kid is rushing in in the scene to warn him that he's dripping some obviously dangerous chemical onto his lab bench as Andromeda strolls by. This is by Matt Haley and Tom Simmons. We get Spark by the regular art team of Legionnaires, Jeffrey Moy and W.C. Karani. And Siobhan stops scrolling at Kinetics. The Kinetics pinup is by Mike Huddleston and Jason Martin, and it's okay, but the art in the second spotlight story of the issue is it's in a different class. It's written solo by Tom Pyre and drawn by Alan Davis and Mark Farmer, the regular cover art team for Legion of Superheroes. Really great stuff. Kinetic Spotlight is called From Dawn to Darkness, and it's lettered by Pat Prentice. Kinetics, or Zoe, wakes up from a dream where she's the savior of an alien race suffering from drought and famine. Though her telekinetic powers don't really work that way, she dreamed she turned the world into a bountiful paradise. She wakes in a tent alongside Violet, Shrinking Violet, who's accompanied Zoe on an archaeological dig. Zoe's interested in unearthing some ancient secrets that she hopes possess some power. And the mention of that word troubles Violet, as that's all Zoe seems to have talked about lately. She goes into some of her backstory, how she and her brother accompanied their mother on digs very similar to this one all over the galaxy. 
On one of those expeditions, a poisonous gas was released, which almost killed Zoe's mother, but Zoe used a magic talisman from a previous day to revive her mother. This was Zoe's first taste of true power. A similar archaeological mishap in the standard superhero way actually granted Zoe her telekinetic powers, which proved to be useful in the, their line of work. Clearing rubble, pulling things up from the ground. The only thing was, this, these steps toward power had become addictive for Zoe. Each dig became a quest for more and more power. In fact, where they were now, Kinetics and Violet, Zoe was searching for a relic called the Star of Echos. And when Violet climbs through a tiny crack in the ground and spots it, Zoe basically blasts little Vi away in her eagerness to get it. When she finally gets her hands on the star, the ancient temple therein starts to rumble and crumble. Vi seems a little worried, but Zoe laughs it off, saying her powers would take care of it, only her powers can't take care of it. They're gone. Zoe starts to freak out a little bit, but Vi manages to drag her out of the temple just as it completely caves in. Later, Zoe, left with nothing and despondent, is brought a blanket by Vi while she tries to convince herself that she wasn't being greedy, that she's done everything, everything, only to help other people. The story was alluded to in the previous issue of Legionnaires, covered last time out, where Cosmic Boy had requested to remove kinetics from active duty now that she had no powers to protect herself. That request had been denied, so we'll have to see how that plays out. But great to see Alan Davis' pencils on a Legion story rather than just the covers. And I'll take it any way I can. So Siobhan uh, continues to scroll through Legionnaires. We, next we see a shrinking violet pinup by Ron Boyd, Solo, and Andromeda by Paul Pelletier and Joe Rubenstein. Siobhan asks who's next, and the Omnicom repeats Leviathan, whom she still wants to skip, despite him being the last Legionnaire. So instead, the Omnicom shows us some other Legion info, including little write-ups by Tom McCraw on R.J. Brand, Legion founder and financier, Stargate technology, the support staff, including Marla Latham, Tenzel Kem, and the Athromites, and we get a nice two-page spread of Legion HQ, which is illustrated in cross-section by Elliot Brown. There's an interesting breakdown of the personnel suites showing which team members share the two-person apartments. Cosmic Boy shared with Livewire while he was with the team. Chameleon shares with Invisible Kid, that makes sense. Spark and Excess, they seem pretty tight, they're together. Shrinking Violet's on her own. So is Andromeda. And so is Saturn Girl and Brainiac 5. Triad rooms with Apparition and Leviathan lives with Kinetics, which is kind of interesting. Something else of note, we see exactly where Brainiac 5's lab is situated in the headquarters, but in the basement there's something else called Brainiac's secret lab slash time lab. Now, perhaps we'll see more of that at a later date, perhaps not. Then retreated to some nice info on Legion equipment, including the cruisers, flight ring and transuits, and among other things. After that info dump, there is nothing left but Leviathan's file, so Siobhan resigns herself to go through it. And we get our last spotlight story called Greater Good 
written by Mark Wade, solo. It's penciled by Mike Collins. It's inked by Ron Boyd and lettered by Tim Harkins. So, of course, uh, Gim Allen was a science police officer before he was drafted to the Legion, and perhaps this is why Siobhan finds him so distasteful. One who was an SP like her and is now one of them, the shiny new super brats. Uh, the story opens on on Gim, stationed on Mars with his squad back in his SP days, including close friend Gigi Cusimano. They witness on the news the debut of the Legion. At the time, it was just the three founders. Apparently, Gim had uh, just gotten his draft notice and his buddies are giving him a hard time. Kind of like Siobhan was getting at the beginning of the, of the issue. No one can yet wrap their head around the concept of the Legion, including Commanding Officer Chief Wilson, who's a bit, a bit full of himself. He accuses the Legion of cashing in on Alan's already present uh, growing ability, claiming that they don't really care about the greater good. Wilson is waiting on an important promotion and promises to get Gim out of Legion duty ASAP. Gim's a little confused about his future, having a sense of loyalty to the SP, but also wants to do the most amount of good with what he's been given. And he sees that opportunity, or the possibility of that opportunity in the, in the Legion. He flashes back to his chase of a Durlin who'd killed a fellow officer, a freak meteor shower, rained down on the surface of Mars and killed the Durlin, but exposure to the glowing rock put Gim in a coma for a week. When he came out, he had the ability to grow 30 feet high. In Gim's present, an emergency calls him and Gigi to the scene. Some human terrorists under the banner of anti-colonization of Mars have set up bombs at the immigration office. Apparently one of the bombs went off and the terrorists are trapped now on the fourth floor along with several hostages. Gim begins to formulate a plan, but is interrupted by Chief Wilson. Showing a little bit of xenophobia himself, Wilson orders police to open fire from the air, no matter what the cost is in hostages' lives. He actually doesn't want to risk Gim at all, hoping that the celebrity that comes with his fantastic growing power rubs off on Wilson himself, giving a uh, Wilson's career, a big push. He says it's not worth the loss to risk the lives on a bunch of quote-unquote skin jabs. Just then, Wilson's plan proves a disaster as the SPs that had been told to go up to the fourth floor and open fire easily picked off from the inside of the building. Gim's confused loyalty is no longer a problem after Wilson's racist showing he grows to maximum height, surprising the captors, reaching in and taking him out. Afterwards, Wilson tries to steal Gim's thunder, claiming it was his idea all along to send the giant in, but then it's Gim's turn to interrupt, choosing this moment to quit the SP and go ahead and serve his draft term. Gigi's sad to see him go, but she's got her own job, serving a draft notice to some kid named Lyle Norg. And we saw the delivery of that notice in Legionnaires number zero. 
So after Leviathan's solo story, we see his profile pinup, a real pretty piece by Colleen Doran, who's done a bit of Legion work in the past, having a beautifully drawn run on the book Valor a year or two prior to this story. So Leviathan's tale, the one Siobhan was looking forward to least, actually begins to turn the tide in her attitude towards her new appointment. She reviews the team's adventures thus far, their origin, their showdown with Tangleweb, Planet Hell, uh, Mono, the Composite Man, each victory, another example of what great young people they are, caring for one another, and united, for the most part, against hatred. She finishes her file review with something resembling a smile, and on the last page, when one of her comrades attempts one last jab, she shoots him down by accepting the fact that, yes, she's now a liaison lass, and is proud to be associated with the Legion. So this annual had a lot going for it. I like how each of the three writers associated with the Legion took one of the spotlight stories. One each. Uh, Excess and Kinetics, I thought, were great candidates for this type of story, being brand new characters. Leviathan, never one of my favorites, but the story was good, casting Gimmin a very positive light, which is nice to see as he kind of stumbled out of the gate when he was first introduced in the reboot. We're treated to some really great art here. Eight pages of Stuart Immonen and eight pages of Alan Davis. I'd take that all day long, at least every month. <laughs> So Legionnaires, the title, got an annual in 1995 too, but it was not in the same format as this. It was just more of a continuation of the monthly the, the story being told in the monthly title, so we'll get to that one in a couple of episodes. Next up are two short stories from Showcase 95. Showcase was an anthology title begun in 1993 that was called Showcase 93, and there was a 94... The format of the 95 series was that there was a, a lead story, an 18-pager starring some character from the Superman family, which is followed by two 10-pagers starring any number of characters from the DC Universe. Issue number six was led by a Bibbo story, believe it or not, Superman's saloon-owning buddy in team-up action with Lobo. Now, but that story was followed by two Legion stories. These stories were not handled by the regular creative teams of the monthly titles. In fact, the only name in the credit box of either story that had anything to do with the current Legion of Superheroes was editor Mike McAvinney. The first story is called The Alienation of Unification. It's written by Bo Smith, who was at this time, I believe, still writing Guy Gardner, and illustrated by Mike Huddleston and Mike Mafood lettered by Kevin Cunningham and colored by Lee Loffridge. The story opens on a Legion cruiser. Andromeda and Apparition are escorting three potential draftees to the new Legion Academy on the planet Warner Bros. Uh, that's a joke, son. DC Comics uh, is owned by Warner Brothers, of course. Now, this is an interesting idea. This is the first mention of a Legion Academy in the reboot, though it had been a concept that was developed fairly well in the 1970s and 80s. But beyond this story, I don't think the Academy is mentioned for at least five years. It's kind of a one-and-done here. 
Anyway, Laurel and Tinya are on this cruiser, and no one is getting along. Andromeda is actually punching out Brawler, an arrogant Moxian who can mind mesh with any machine or weapon, I guess, kind of like Quizlet. While fellow recruits, Tomb from the planet from the planet Sarkis can who can control the bodies of others and Canis, a dog like being from the planet Anthropologia, who's an expert tracker. They're looking on while Andromeda's pasting brawler. And that tracking power of Canis, that sounds familiar too. As they fight, their cruiser is hit by a, an immobilizer ray from the ship of Motarian pirates. While the giant Motarian ship's tentacles hold on to the Legion cruiser, a group of pirates prepares to board. Apparition, the voice of reason on this Legion ship, suggests the plan of entering the Motarian ship and disabling the, the ray. Andromeda wants no part of that, so... Apparition has to do it herself. She reminds Laurel before leaving, though, to keep the recruits together with diplomacy and tact. Laurel tells Tinya not to worry. She's got a great motivational speech ready, which goes something like this. Choice one, kick the butt of every Motarian pirate that boards the ship. Or choice two, Laurel can cave in their heads if they don't make choice number one. So they make choice number one and take care of business just as Apparition returns, nervous what she'll find. Of course, Apparition handled her end. She's, she's a pro. Andromeda says they handled the situation with diplomacy intact, and the tiny Legion cruiser somehow tows the gigantic pirate ship to the nearest science police outpost. So, yeah, the story isn't that great. Not really doing it justice. Uh, it's been my experience that these showcase backups were kind of like new talent showcase. You know, Bo Smith had been writing for a while, but the script was something of a throwaway. Again, we wouldn't hear anything about a Legion Academy for some time, and we'd never again hear about the planet called Warner Bros. And this was early on in Tom Huddleston's career, the penciler, so I don't want to be too negative, but the art here was of its time. Young artist, mid-90s. I'll put an example up on the blog. As a one-off, kind of a one-joke story, it seemed like the whole thing was building up to that punchline of diplomacy intact. It's, it's okay, but nothing like uh, on par with the regular ongoing series. Kind of the same with the second story called Learning Curve by writer-slash-colorist Gregory Wright. This one's penciled by Wade Von Grabadger, who I know more of as an inker. The inks here are done by Mark Farmer, and it's lettered by Kevin Cunningham. This is actually a science police story, starring Siobhan Aaron and Gigi Cusimano, though a legionnaire does put in an appearance. It's another new recruit-type story, as Siobhan and Gigi are assessing the performance of a problem officer, Cybele Deacon. When the story opens, the three are confronting a group of costume terrorists, and Deacon is going kind of rough on them. She's showing no mercy and must be stopped by Gigi before killing them, and thereby just bypassing 30th century due process. Uh, 
As Gigi delivers a lecture, Deacon notices one of the creeps reaching for a gun, but manages to push Gigi out of the way and hurl an energy knife, killing the attacker. Just then they get word about an attack on a, at a nearby research facility. However, there is a legionnaire already on the scene. It's Leviathan standing atop the research building, and he's got a big dragon by the tail while a few, while a few others hover nearby. Despite us just learning that it was Gim's story that helped turn Siobhan around on the Legion, she calls him a colossal boar. It's a nice little callback as she, Gigi, and Deacon swoop in on their SP air bikes. Gigi tells Deacon to set her weapons to stun until they find out what's going on with these dragons, but the rookie doesn't listen. She's shooting to kill, but her blast at the dragon doesn't have the desired effect. The one she hits retaliates with a fire breath, which gets Siobhan. Her bike destroyed, she fortunately falls right into the waiting palm of Leviathan. He explains that these dragons were developed as peaceful protectors, at least that's what he was told, but earlier in the day they went berserk destroying the lab that created them. Gigi and Gim bicker back and forth about how to handle the situation when Deacon takes things into her own hands. She dives off her little craft and takes a dragon by the neck. She's noticed a collar that they wear and assumes that this is it's got something to do with their behavior. Once she manages to remove the collar, the dragon becomes quite docile. Deacon somehow determines that the collars were receiving remote signal, which agitated the beast, sending them into a rage. She also determines that the signal broadcaster is located in the lab below, so she goes to investigate, of course disobeying Gigi's orders to wait, when she enters the facility, Deacon has nothing really nice to say about Leviathan, calling him arrogant, maybe, maybe he is, and ridiculously costumed, which he definitely is. Inside, she discovers some run-of-the-mill armored goons out to discover the lab's quote-unquote secrets, which is kind of a vague MacGuffin. Deacon manages to blast the broadcaster out of, the one, of, out of one of the goons' hand, which immediately calms the situation outside. She does run into a little trouble with these guys who call her alien, so this seems to be another xenophobic group out there. These guys are all over the place. Just as Deacon's about to buy it at the end of a ray gun blast, two giant hands crash through the walls and apprehend the would-be thieves, which kind of calls back to the Leviathan story in the annual. Siobhan and Gigi catch up for the uh, good job, rookie pat on the back party, and Deacon apologizes, kind of, to Leviathan for the nasty things she said about him. Leviathan's peering through the big hole in the building he just made. That's it for that story, so yeah, this was, it was okay. Kind of a lame, nameless threat, but it's uh, nice to see Legionnaires get some solo time, even in the, even in the story I just talked about with the... Uh, Andromeda and Tinya. Yeah, it was decent, but on the whole, these two showcase stories are pretty inessential. I am nothing if not a completist, though. It's a disease. So, here they are. We'll consider them indexed. And that will do it for this episode of Reboot Review. You can contact me via comments on the blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. Check out images from these issues there. 
and on Twitter, posting as at Mark Sweeney Jr., or email me at imthegun at gmail.com. Check out previous episodes on iTunes. You'll find reboot reviews there, as well as Shanna Showcases. Shanna Showcase is devoted to Marvel's Shanna the She-Devil, and maybe some other content you may find of interest. I'll be back in a couple of weeks, picking up with the next monthly issues of Legion and Legionnaires, so until then, LOL, live on Legion.